Welcome to Season 6 of the Leadership Educator Podcast, your source for knowledge and expertise on facilitating leadership learning. Passionate about leadership education? Want to expand your resource toolbox with practical strategies for teaching, learning, and program design? This is the podcast for you. If you haven't done so already, please hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Today's episode features Dr. Barbie Honeycutt. Barbie hosts the super popular Lecture Breakers podcast and has authored several scholarly articles as well as seven books on college teaching. Barbie's also a speaker, facilitator, and educator. Her blog, Favorite Faculty Development, has been featured on the Chronicle of Higher Education. Yeah, Lauren, we thought Barbie would be great as a guest because her passion for faculty development, her focus on, you know, literally breaking the lecture, which is where the title for her podcast came from. Uh, and that translates to exploring and sharing active and experiential learning activities on a podcast that faculty can readily apply in their classrooms. Hello, and welcome to the Leadership Educator Podcast. I'm Lauren Bullock, Assistant Professor of Instruction at Temple University. And I'm Dan Jenkins, Chair and Associate Professor of Leadership and Organizational Studies at the University of Southern Maine. And we are both thrilled about today's episode of the podcast. This season, we're talking to educators and faculty developers who write and speak. They make podcasts about teaching practices in higher education. And our guests have authored popular texts and, you know, they're all over different social media spaces and what have you, where they're discussing current trends and best practices in uh, higher education and teaching. And um, many of them are from different places in the university. They might be in STEM or education, psychology, business, but they're all sharing teaching strategies that can be applied more broadly. Uh, So today we're joined by uh, Dr. Barbie Honeycutt. Welcome to the show, Barbie. Awesome. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. It is great to have you. So I shared before, you know, anybody that's watched Frasier, he had the call-in show and and whenever anybody called in, they would say, you know, a long-time listener, first-time caller. And I feel like that's the case with your podcast. There are a couple of great teaching podcasts that Dan and I have both followed to help us, you know, just increasingly get better at our craft, you know, recognizing that students are changing and how their learning is changing and wanting to be, you know, committed to that. Um, So I am very familiar with your line of work, but maybe for like those that don't know, um, are there like two or three things you can share about your background that maybe don't come up in your bio or in your fun things about me list on your website? <laughs> like I noticed it's like, it's not a bio. It's like 10 fun things to know. Like I met my husband in middle school and I love Broadway. Uh-huh. Like, are there anything, you know, that you want to share with our, our group that well, maybe would be helpful to know? <laughs> Yeah, you did your homework, right? So yeah, do I, I get a, it? Is that graded? Is it right? graded? <laughs> is there a rubric? The <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, yes, I am a big Broadway fan, um, and I cannot wait until we can travel again because I'm definitely heading back to New York City to watch Hamilton. Like I'm just I've seen Wicked so many times, but uh, yeah, I want to see Hamilton. I've actually been wearing uh, Wicked and 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 um, uh, Hamilton hats in all of my videos during the pandemic because first of all who has time for a haircut? And second of all, I'm trying to promote, you know, just some of the fun things that we do. But yeah, I have been um, working in faculty development for the last 20 years. Um, 10 of those years were spent on a college campus. And then 10 of those years now has been as an independent faculty development consultant um, running my own business. And so I've seen it from all different perspectives. I love working with educators across the board, whether that's, you know, postdocs, graduate students, new faculty, senior faculty, and also uh, working with anybody on campus 
else who has any kind of leadership and or teaching role. Um, so I'm, I'm very aware of those challenges and love to work with all types of audiences. And I have worked in centralized places on campus. Um, so I understand the nuances of that. I understand how it how important it is to partner with, um, you know, other units on campus to make things happen um, and to serve our students and to serve our faculty. So I understand uh, those challenges and try to work really hard uh, when I was on a campus to make those connections. Now I've been working, um, you know, on my own, doing my own business, and I have a podcast, which you mentioned, uh, Lecture Breakers. So it's all about breaking up lectures and making your teaching more engaging so that it's more student-centered and active. And that's really the whole essence of what I try to do to support educators. I love that. It's right up my alley. I somehow, in fact, I was just writing back a grad student about a, a he asked me, hey, you know, I'm not sure about if I'm where I'm headed, a uh, doc student. Am I going to be an educator? Am I going to faculty? I don't know. He's like, should I go to this Association of Leadership Educators Conference this summer? And so I said, hey, here, here, here's, here's my Here's where I'm coming from. Uh, when I was a grad, when I was a master's student, and my master's was poli sci, I on a whim I went and got some funding from like the graduate studies office to go to the American Political Science Association's Teaching and Learning Conference, and it like blew my mind. Um, I don't even know. And and I had a friend that was living in D.C. at the time as a staffer, and I was like, well, this could be fun. I get to see Alex, and I get to go to this conference. And they were talking about you know the pedagogy and the simulations that they were running and these the role plays and these other. And I was just like, this is so cool. And then like six months later, I'd gotten an opportunity to start teaching at a community college because I had just finished my master's. Um, that's another story, but um, I was able to start integrating some of those things. And then as soon as I had the opportunity to go to the ALE conference, like I was hooked and that was it. Uh, and I've been studying the scholarship of teaching and learning ever since. And it's just like, you, you get this, you just get this taste for it. And it's like, you're done, you're set. And so I, I you know, I can, I can hear that in where you're coming from and, and how this all kind of like sparked and, and came together. And I'm thinking about, you know, not, not, you got started, it looks like, with your podcast not long before Lauren and I did back in, it was in August of 2019 is when mm -hmm. your first episode came out. Lauren and I, I think, first started chatting about our podcast in August of 2019. So we're kind of kindred spirits here. But so you've been doing the faculty development work, you said about 20 years, 10 in higher ed, like on a college campus, and then about 10 in the consulting role. Like what, what sparked the podcast? Like what, what did you start the Lecture Breakers podcast? Like what, what niche were you trying to fill there? Oh my goodness. I am just, I think, on a mission to sort of reimagine faculty development and professional development. Um, it's always been sort of the tradition, and there's a place for this, but I, I think I want to change it. It's always been where um, I am hired to go into a campus. This was pre-COVID and, you know, lead a workshop or do a keynote session. You know, I'm there for an hour on this campus and then I pack it all up and I head home. And I don't know if, you know, anybody takes anything I said and does anything with it or, you know, if it changes people's lives and it turns around their whole classroom. I don't know because it's a one-off event. And that's sort of the, the tradition of professional development and faculty development in particular. Um, and I've been on both sides of that, both, both as when I was on a campus, I would hire those speakers to come in. And then now as a independent consultant, I am that person that goes to those campuses. And there's a place for that, of course, in higher ed. We need those keynotes. We need those you know, please people who just spark the big ideas and start the ball rolling on a campus and kick off some initiatives. But I think I'm ready to think about other ways to do faculty development and the first plan that I had was to do it as a podcast. Like, how can I reach out to these amazing educators and feature what they are doing in their classrooms and like open the doors to our classrooms? Because, you know, as a teacher, it can be a very uh, isolating 
place because you go into a classroom, you close your door and then you teach, right? It's not often that you collaborate or share or have the opportunity outside of a formal conference to really learn what your colleagues are doing and to learn best practices and to learn from their experience. And so I'm like, I want to bring these amazing educators on my show. I want to talk about what they're doing. I want to make it less isolating. I want to share some teaching tips and strategies, just really like inspire everyone to you know, try these things in their classes and try breaking up their lectures. And then um, this is sort of phase one of my plan to kind of reconceptualize and reimagine faculty development. You know, I love that you shared all of that, especially the like the ways to reimagine. Um, the first thing I'll share is your work is landing. So like I shared offline, my best friend, she teaches in Florida. She teaches uh, graduate students in athletic training, and we regularly talk about teaching. And a lot of that is because we both come from administrative backgrounds. So I was a student affair, an athletic administrator, athletics administrator, and a student affairs administrator before I really got into teaching and kind of found my passion. And she had, she was similar. She was an an athletic trainer full time and then got offered this opportunity to teach. And we knew you could go to the faculty development, you know, center, but we were kind of trying to figure out that every day. And so a lot of articles and like books and like were helpful, but on our commute, we can play you know, your podcast episode and get some ideas so that when we go to work, we're not just like, don't have just have ideas, but we're kind of energized hearing that like positive speak. So I will confirm you at least got one person out here that it's working for. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) I guess you got a couple of two. I, I I'm just leaning, but I'm sure if you didn't, your listens and episodes would be at zero. And we all know that that's not true. It's very, very popular, helpful podcast. Thank Um, you so much. I will say this just, I think in season three, which will come out in March, um, we should early in season three hit a hundred thousand downloads, which I am super excited about. I know that's like small numbers in the big podcast game, but it is a huge number to me. Um, so yeah, I'm just very, very grateful for listeners and just being able to, you know, connect with educators and, and to talk about teaching. I love to talk about teaching. That's, that's amazing that you have that many downloads. That's wrecking, no big or small. That's a lot of numbers to share. That's wonderful. But I also, I get it because it's, it's a very useful podcast. You're, you have this way with your guests as well as sometimes when you talk independently of, you know, taking the things that we read about in textbooks and really bringing them to life and, and asking your guests, like, what does this look like in action mm-hmm. and, and shifting this culture away from like, you know, PowerPoint presentations to like, how do you, how are students changed and, and, and what can you do to bridge that gap? You know, the expectation is that you're there overnight, but it's really like this bridge. Um, but so in some of my work, I, my research, I look at faculty student interaction. I'm currently a doctoral student and I'm really fascinated by the faculty experience and faculty student interaction. We don't often talk about it. We talk about the benefits to students, but we don't talk about like the benefits to faculty members. If they're able to consistently foster that positive interaction, it makes them consistently want to do good work as well as we know part of that is relational teaching. And so one of the things I'd, I'd love to hear from you is, is simply like, how do you get people to trust the strategies? Like we know that there are some of our faculty brethren and sisters um, and people who are just very stuck in their ways. Like I'm going to click through these slides or I'm going to bring out, what is the projector? You remember the projector you used to like print <laughs> yeah. out on the clear paper? Overhead? Yes. Overhead. Yeah, overhead. <laughs> you know somebody's out there with overhead still. Mm-hmm. Like how do you get our overhead? <laughs> 
peers? How do you get our overhead peers to shift into, you know, things like posting on discussion boards the night before so that the next day in class, you can answer those students' questions like in real time for those learning? Like, how do you get people to like trust those strategies um, and like slowly kind of move the culture? I mean, I've, I luckily haven't seen an overhead projector in any class I've walked in, but I know there's a storage closet somewhere with them. How do you, how do you do that? Next yeah, to the film strips, Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Hey, that's a form of technology, right? It's just, uh, we haven't seen that in a while, but uh, yeah, so it's, this is a great question. And I will say that in, in faculty development, when I directed a teaching and learning center, one of our biggest challenges was always, how do we get beyond the choir? Right. And so what I mean there is like when we do a workshop or we do a keynote or we have anything happening, a webinar, it's always our biggest cheerleaders that come to the event, which is wonderful. These are people who are passionate about teaching, are excited about teaching and learning, want to connect with the students in a different way. Um, they're ready for that space to have a conversation about how teaching can be different um, than what they might have experienced before. But the, the challenge has always been like, how do we reach those who are like you just described, who might be stuck in their ways for a variety of reasons. And I will say there are a lot of challenges for faculty. Um, you know, we all want to be great teachers. We all want to be great scholars and researchers. We want to serve our students, our campus, our, our professions. Um, and so there, there are a lot of of challenges and responsibilities that faculty have. And so they may want to be there and want to do great teaching in new ways, but their schedule or whatever, their tenure track, whatever it is, might not allow for that. And I'm very cognizant of that. So I have a couple of different um, recommendations that I make when it comes to talking with faculty about teaching and learning. And I've kind of positioned those in sort of two different ways. Um, I've done a lot of work with Flip Classroom Model. Um, in fact, my business uh, was actually named early on Flip It Consulting uh, because I'm all about the FLIP is actually an acronym, means focus on your learners by involving them in the process. It's all about how you involve your learners and how you do that active learning piece. And whenever I work with faculty, I'm always like, okay, I want you to look for what I call flippable moments in a lesson, all right? And this, this doesn't just count for faculty. This could be anybody teaching anything. Doesn't matter if it's flipped classroom, blended, high flex, doesn't matter. But when you sit down to plan a lesson or you're looking at your overall course, there's three places that I want you to look in your course because that's worth a redesign. Like it's worth going in and trying an active learning strategy. And so those three places are you look for confusion, right? So where, where are students confused? What are they not getting? Where are they failing the test? Where are they just totally, you know, just not getting the concept? The second place you look um, is for the fundamentals. So like what's the fundamental foundational information that your students must know to move on to the next module or the next course? And then the third one is to look for boredom. And, you know, when we're in our in-person classes, we can kind of key into that boredom, right? We see students checking out, checking their phones, nodding off or whatever, um, a little bit harder in the online space. But if you know your students are disengaging, then you know there's something that's not working there. And so I, when I'm talking with faculty, I'm like, look, I'm not asking you to redesign your whole course and throw everything out and design this escape room or this amazing case study that lasts all semester. Like, I'm not asking for that. What I want you to do is to look in one of these three places and let's focus on that piece because that's the piece of your lesson or your course that isn't working as well as you thought. And then we'll talk about some strategies where you can address that. So I'll pause there before I go to the second recommendation. 
any reactions? <laughs> yeah, I got a great reaction. Hold okay. up a second. So I love that. <laughs> I love the flip strategy. And, and it's interesting because when you listen to your episodes, there's this, this overarching philosophy of like strategic progress. You don't have to redesign it today, like do one or two things and, or three or four things. And like, I took, I, when I heard that I, it, really shifted and reduce some of the anxiety and pressure. So as someone who is relatively new to full-time instruction, like I've been teaching part-time for about 10 years, but full-time for about three and a half, maybe four, depending on where I am in my contract right now. But I would, I would try and like be all super inventive and, you know, smoke and mirrors and all this stuff. And what I did was I took those old school PowerPoints that I loved. And then like, like you said, pick those three places. I like walked it back. Where can I add a question? Where can I add an activity? And that it like slight change, you know, overwhelmingly changed the engagement of my class. And it was simple and it was easy um, because of that strategic process philosophy. So again, you know, some of the things you share are definitely landing. Thank you for sharing that. I'm glad to know that was helpful. <laughs> yeah, it's such it's an interesting approach because I, I'm thinking about well, one of the books we're using in, in, in one of our classes right now is, is the book Peak, The Science of Expertise, you know, that's looking at like deliberate practice. And what our spin is like, how do we create expert leaders by building off of the, you know, Malcolm Gladwell made the idea famous of the 10,000 hours rule. But Anders Ericsson, uh, who is a, a psychology professor at the Florida State University, Lauren, who coined that. Uh, well, he actually has some different thoughts about the 10,000 hours rule, but Malcolm Gladwell made that made that famous. Um, but, but, you know, what I'm thinking about is if you spent 10 years teaching, you're close to that like 10,000 hours you know, of, of teaching, designing curriculum, designing teachable moments and, 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 uh, and educational interventions, which is like a friend phrase to say, I think you're, you have this heightened awareness and maybe mindfulness, or maybe even like metacognition of those three, those three criteria that you mentioned, Barbie, the confusion, fundamentals, boredom, like you can, you can see that. I wonder, I wonder like how, have you ever had folks in your, um, in your workshops look at you and say, well, how do I know if they're confused, if they're missing fundamentals or if they're bored, you know, or do they seem to be pretty, mm -hmm. pretty keen to, to identifying those, those three things? Yeah. Usually in a workshop, they, uh, they recognize, ah, yes. Okay. I have these. Now, sometimes okay. they have something that's all three of these, right. That it's boredom right. because it's a foundational theory and the students are confused about it. Like they know that they have to go back and do something different with that. Like maybe they're doing a lecture. Well, that lecture is not landing on that topic. Right. So what can we do? How can we mix it up? And I have a whole process that I walk them through. Um, and people have been very responsive to just the idea of breaking that down because the way that I help them break that down addresses what you just said, which is actually, you know, that expert hat that you wear, that curse of knowledge that we all have makes it very difficult to think like a beginner again, or think like a novice. If you've been studying something for a decade, like, you know, it, and it's really hard to like unpack that and break it down and say, wait a minute, what do my students even know the fundamental information here on the definition and the concept? before we can go on and do those higher level thinking skills that are, you know, these fancy, you know, case studies and analysis and comparisons. And so, um, so yeah, I think it's important to recognize that and help, help educators kind of walk through that. And it's not a bad thing. It's great to be the expert, but when you're teaching, you got to kind of take off that expert hat and learn to think like a beginner again. It's interesting you say that. It was funny. I was uh, one of the big, a really big concept in, in leadership education is this idea of, uh, and not everybody drinks this Kool-Aid, but the majority are like, yes, leadership is a socially constructed phenomenon. Meaning, you know, like we 
define leadership how we see it. Like, hey, that person's a good leader. Hey, that person's a really poor leader or expletive leader or whatever, boss or what have you. And so like, that's kind of like understood in the field. And it's funny because it's something that I always bring up in like the first or second class. Uh, in my graduate class last, last fall, it was probably the second to last week of the semester. And I brought it up and these two students were like, oh yeah, socially constructed, that's really, and they're like writing it down. I was like, y'all, we've been talking about this the whole time, you know, like, right. like, like this was a really important. And, and so it's funny, it's like, it's that, it's that keen sense of like the fundamentals are, are so like, while it's not fundamental to you, like, like it's okay to like, just, and not go, you know, I roll, like, how did the, you know, really like you, you guys missed that? Like this, you know, this was such a integral part of the, you know, of what we're trying to, to teach you all here. Uh, but, oh, you know what? That's fine. Let's, let's, let's make, let's, let's ask a question. Let's, let's, you know, uh, let's stir that up a little bit. Let's agitate it a little bit more that way. You know, the, the other thing that you got me thinking about, about this was, you know, too about, and maybe it's it's a sense of pride that maybe you get when you've been you've been a faculty member for uh, for a certain amount of time. But I find that going back to the to the basics and even you know there's a there's like a two page PDF that I have so many copies of. It's about debriefing, and because that's so important to the the process of of any activity that we do in leadership learning is going through that reflective process. Like what did you learn? You know, like what happened here? Like, what would you do different? Like, is there anything you learned about your classmates? You know, like, well, how might this be, a, you know, and there's 20, 30 different, different questions that, that we go through, but I find that no matter what age, what, what age group and how many times I've done the activity, like you got to go back to those fundamentals because it's creating those teachable moments. And it's, um, it, it's getting through all of the, it's confusion sometimes, it's fundamentals of, of drawing connections to the, the concept and the activity that they just went through. I'm looking at, you know, because I'm, I'm taking notes, I'm like, boredom. Mm, I hope not, but maybe I'm not as good at identifying that. And maybe some of my students are eye rolling if they're listening to this episode. <laughs> well, boredom happens and, and boredom happens to faculty and, and instructors as well. We all, you know, if you've been teaching that. something yeah. for the last 15 semesters and you're like, oh, I have to teach this theory again, like your students are going to pick up on that. So can you mix that up? So even boredom for you, if you're like, wow, I'm just not excited about talking about this today, then uh, that that's a key assign to say, wait a minute, I'm going to try to mix this up a little bit. And and I think coming into a conversation where you're working with educators from any different you know, uh, space on a campus, that when you go in thinking about these three areas, that it's not about ego. It's not about your expertise or anything like that. It's just like, Hey, these are places where it's not working in your lesson or your course. Uh, everything else you're doing is working, right? So this must be landing. If all the students are getting this theory and they got this process or whatever, keep doing what you're doing. Fantastic. We're talking about the places that aren't working quite as well. So that's where we want to kind of focus our attention for a little while. Definitely. And being okay to, to even have a, a colleague come in and, and give you some feedback on that. We just are, are piloting a leadership pedagogy program for, for some of our doctoral students. And one of the things they've been asked to do was is to observe some of their you know, faculty colleagues. And, and then some of them are actually co-teaching uh, with full-time faculty this semester. I can't wait to hear from some of them how that's going. I mean, we're just, we're, we're way, way, way early in the semester. In fact, we just Today was the first day that we're on campus. This is uh, the first day of week three uh, at, at my university, and we're back on campus because we were uh, remote the first two weeks. So I can't wait to hear from some of those folks how that's how that's going, and and some of the feedback loop that they're being able to be a part of with uh, you know with more experienced faculty and, and getting to try out some things on their own and get that immediate feedback, which is you know that whole it's that feedback loop and the deliberate practice. So yeah, and I mean I think that's how we start to change the 
the culture of higher education and what teaching looks like in colleges and universities. And I realized that not every discipline can do this, but when you have the opportunity to, you know, introduce your graduate students to teaching and learning pedagogy theory, how people learn, mm -hmm. that is amazing because then they can carry that with them if they stay within the academy or even outside of the academy. And, um, you know, I work with every year I teach a, a group of postdocs at NIH. And it's amazing to me that they come with such a variety of teaching experience. Some have zero, you know, they went through and did their coursework. They did their research. They stayed by the bench, right? They did the lab work and they can pump out articles left and right. But then if they want to be an assistant professor, they're going to have to teach. And so, you know, this is their first exposure to that. And then I have others who have taught their own course before they come to this class. And so it's amazing to me, just the variety of teaching experience and exposure to these concepts that we have in our graduate space. These are our future faculty, our future leaders, our future educators. And it's like, we need to be teaching them before they land their first job that so they can hit the ground running with teaching and creating amazing learning experiences. Totally. Yeah, preaching Lauren, to ahead. the choir again. Yeah. 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 You know, you know, it's it's so interesting because I'm, you know, I'm in my doctoral program and and granted our our cohort is a little bit older. Um, but one of the things that I did not learn was leadership pedagogy. And I was fortunate because Dan here um birthed and has continued to give life to the leadership education academy and edu leadership educator academy leadership educators academy yeah and it it was how do you how do you use good teaching practices and and the the strategies and the the frameworks that we've we've read about how do you apply them specifically to leadership and I, you know, I shared with him at the end, it felt like exactly what I needed because I was getting this great doctoral experience and, and I don't knock it, but I wasn't taught how to teach leadership classes, but I came into it already teaching leadership classes and, and connecting the, you know, the, the definks of the world with, you know, um, you know, uh, like adaptive leadership was extremely helpful and made me a better teacher because a lot of the activities were related to something I would actually talk about in class. So I say that Barbie, if you decide you want to like, go like make some signs and protest somewhere, the grad <laughs> students need to be made like mandated teaching classes. You let me know, I'll meet you there <laughs> because it's, it, it's, it's, it's incredibly important. And I also think too, this period of remote, well, online learning, long-term emergency remote learning that we're in is going to cause some challenges for those graduate students that want to come out and be professors because the skills that they're able to develop are going to be a little warped because of the time that we're in. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I feel like you're right. They need those in-class experiences. Uh, my teaching assistants, I meet with them at the beginning of the semester. And before we even look at the syllabus, it's, you know, what do you want out of this experience? And they don't ever say teaching, but I, you know, I say, well, Hey, what are you going to do after this? Are you going to, you want to be a professor? Have you taught already? No. Okay. So let's get you in front of a class. And I want you to just talk about your research and present it in an incredibly engaging way. Mm -hmm. I don't even focus on that. My students need to learn whatever's related to that topic. I focus on, you know, you can talk about your, it's a communication school. You can talk about your work um, and share some insight and it's going to be low hanging fruit because you already know it, but you really need to develop this classroom management practice. And I give them those opportunities because of what you said. I don't want you to graduate and not have had the pedagogy class, but also some experience running your own course and not all graduate students get that. 
Absolutely. And, you know, I've also been talking a little bit about transferable skills in teaching. So, you know, realizing that not all graduate students are going to be looking at an academic career. And so they might toss teaching to the side or not realize just how valuable teaching can be. Uh, teaching experience is something that once you once you are immersed in that environment and you all know this, it's, you know, it's a it's amazing to see what you learn about yourself as well as what you learn about others. But I talk about, um, I think I, I did a webinar a couple of years ago about transferable skills and teaching and talking about the 10 skills that you gain when you are learning how to teach. And it's everything from communication skills, right? You gotta be able to stand up in front of a room or run a webinar and you have to know how to communicate effectively. Um, it's, it is that classroom management piece, but that can transfer outside of the classroom. Like if you're gonna go, um, say you're working in industry somewhere and they have charged you with uh, leading some sort of training program for your colleagues about some new product that your company is creating. If you've had teaching experience and you understand a little bit about how people learn and how to design that experience, I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be incredible and it's going to be effective and it's going to be easier because you've done that before. And so I think too, that when we're talking to graduate students, postdocs, um, those who are not in the academic space or may not even want to be in the academic space, there's just so much with teaching that you learn and can transfer out of that experience and apply it to lots of different professions. Yeah. You're not just teaching them. I mean, you're teaching them life skills. Uh, that's, yep. that's one of the, that's one <laughs> of the interesting pieces of feedback we often I'll get in like teaching evaluations. Like this isn't just, you know, leadership stuff. This is life stuff. You know, yeah, like, yeah you got it. You got it. Gold <laughs> like, star. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's what it's all about. And it's amazing what you can pull out of a teaching experience. Um, everything from like, you think it's just grading. Well, no, you're learning how to give constructive feedback mm -hmm. and support. You know, one day you're going to be a leader of an organization or a team. Well, now you know how to give effective feedback, you know? So, uh, so I think there's a lot there um, to talk about the, just the, the power of teaching and learning and giving those experiences. But Link that in the show notes for sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, so I was looking, um, you know, just, just before we jumped on to see, you know, what was the most recent episode that you released? It looks like, so your episode uh, 111, the big 111. Um, so it was biggest takeaways from your top 10 most downloaded episodes. So like, you know, I'm a, I geek out on statistics. Um, I was one of the few people I think in my doc program that likes stats, but you know, Laura and I will have conversations fairly regular. Well, a couple of times a season, I don't want to say regularly, uh, you know, on a, on a liquid scale, where are we? Um, you know, we do talk about that because we're curious, like, well, what is it that our listeners are, are like engaging with and why, you know, and if we look at our top 10, you know, it's, Five, you know, five or six of the 10 are, are, are about virtual learning and like making the transition during the pandemic and virtual spaces and online, you know, so which totally makes sense based on what we've, you know, been through in the last the last couple of years. And then there's some like heavy hitters in our field that that certainly makes sense too that folks would be drawn to, to some of those. Uh, I'm curious for you, like, you know, you, you shared a little bit on the episode because um, I did listen to, to about half of it about like, you know, why you had some insight on like why some of the episodes you thought were more popular than others. Like, what are some themes that you're picking up on that college educators seem to be drawn to with your podcast and, yeah. and like why? Yeah. So, yes. So I, um, so let me just give a little context here. So yeah. when I first launched the podcast, um, I did not know that I wanted to do seasons. So I was just 
cranking it out every week, right? Not realizing how much work it would be, but I was determined. I'm like, I'm going to do a hundred episodes. Like I had this goal in my mind and I did it. So I did a hundred episodes every single week. I only took off right there, like during the holidays for a couple of weeks. And when I hit episode 100, I'm like, okay, I'm going to shift to seasons so that I can really invest the time in, you know, um, doing some other things with my business and, you know, exploring some other opportunities and just managing my life. And so uh, first I applaud you for already doing seasons with your podcast. So that's amazing. Um, but I'm getting ready to head into season three. And at the end of every season, I do this recap of the top 10 or whatever most downloaded episodes. And it's really shifted. I would say because of 2020 and 2021, um, the biggest kind of takeaways that people have wanted, uh, there's kind of two of them. One is the whole idea of just teaching online, how to make that more effective and engaging. Uh, and the other one is just like practical strategies, like Everybody is so overwhelmed right now with all the moving pieces. It's like we're trying to learn the tech and we're trying to figure out, you know, how we're supposed to teach all of this. And I've got to stay up to date on my content. And and so I think a lot of them are looking for very practical, like here's five ways to do this. So I think the number one most downloaded episode was, you know, like 20 ways to get to know your students. Uh, and that's something that I enjoy doing. Like I like taking pieces of things I read or just my own creativity and thinking like, here's 20 ways to do this. Go pick one and try it in your class. And so those, those have been kind of the two biggest themes in my podcast. You know, it's interesting that, that you share that information and thinking about, you know, your work leading educators, like facilitating workshops. And I know you have the virtual conference, although I feel like I remember you saying you're not doing the virtual conference. Well, I am. Oh my goodness. So, but didn't Lauren, you say you weren't like, going to do I it? Like, did. This is so here's what I thought. Here's what I thought. This is the, uh, so you talk about leadership, right? <laughs> so I thought I was done. I thought that I would do it for a couple of years during COVID because everybody is like, used to the virtual space. This is what we'll do. And I thought it would be done and everybody would be burned out on conferences and that they would want to get back to traveling again, going back to that traditional way that we do professional development, which is we all go to conferences, right? We physically pack up and go to a city. We meet people, we have drinks, we do whatever, you know, we, we are in person. And I myself couldn't let go of that. And this has been a huge learning experience for me. Um, and so I reached out to my audience and I'm like, look, um, you know, I'm thinking about this is going to be it. Um, I'm feeling like, you know, you're probably all going to want to go back to these cities and, and, you know, meeting your colleagues in person. And the response I got was the complete opposite. They were like, no, you have to keep this online. Um, and they gave me all the reasons why they told me why it was so valuable. They told them, and I don't have to unpack those here. I mean, we know why virtual spaces are so valuable for some. And so I'm bringing it back. So yeah, June 7th through 9th this year, we're doing the conference again, making it bigger and better. So um, I have a lineup of speakers that is amazing. Um, every one of them are just like key speakers in teaching and learning. Every one of them has a book out right now or in the last year or so. Um, and I'm just so excited. Like I swung for the fences with my speakers this year and tried to just bring this event together to make it amazing. So yes, I'm keeping that. <laughs> um, so a leadership, uh, you know, uh, takeaway here would be like, listen to your audience. <laughs> and, and so let them guide you um, and then take control of that and make it amazing. So that's what I'm gonna try to do. 
it warms my heart because let me tell you, when you said this is the last one, you got to do this one and you're out. Like, I was like, no, nah, that's not a good idea, Barbie. We got to, we got to work this out. We got to, so I was going to make my plea here, but I'm <laughs> glad that you said yeah, you're going to continue it's coming it. back. So yeah, yeah. So if anybody wants to go, it's lecturebreakersconference.com. Uh, the speaker's already there. The registration is there. The um, agenda is there. And we got some surprises this year um, that I'm bringing that I don't want to announce yet. But uh, yeah, so I'm just making this a thing. Like, yeah, I loved it. I loved leading a conference. I love coordinating it, um, doing all of it. And I could do a whole separate podcast on that. It's just amazing to me to bring together all of these amazing people to talk about teaching. So, you know, it's interesting that you say that because we did a, our whole second season was on kind of what conferences should leadership educators attend. And mm-hmm. so you're like uh, the conference organizing, planning a conference is always such an interesting thing to talk about, especially because, we, you know, we talk about our leadership educators in the classroom, but we have a lot of listeners who are student affairs pros who are organizing leadership conferences for their students. So maybe we'll put it in the, like summer is kind of a toss up, whatever we like, but maybe it doesn't match the theme, but we still want to get in there. Maybe we'll, we'll do that then. Um, Where I was going, one of the things that I was thinking about is you hear all of these great strategies. What strategies do you use in your like teaching practice? Like when you're leading a room full of educators, Mm -hmm. like what's one thing that you do that you've either heard or you brought into the space that you use in your programming? So I was actually thinking of some strategies related to leadership since your audience is, you know, teaching leadership. And so I wanted to just mention a few, and this will circle back to what I mentioned earlier about sort of the two things that I look for when it comes to reaching out to faculty who might not be coming to workshops. So that first one that I mentioned was all about those three sort of flippable moments. Um, There's another one that I talk about too, and it's called levels of intensity. And so Right. I think my first or second episode from my podcast, I talk about how not all active learning strategies are created equal. So you can have really effective, very engaging learning experiences that are active and student centered, and they can take two minutes in class. I call those low intensity. They don't take a lot of time to plan. Don't take a lot of time to prepare. Don't take a lot of time in class to do. And then you can have, it's kind of a continuum, right? You can move through the continuum. You can have things that are kind of midway. And you can have things all the way kind of the other end that are what I call high intensity, which are things that take a lot more time to prepare, need a lot more structure, need a lot more feedback from you and a lot more involvement from the students and take a lot more class time. Could even cross several class classes. And I want people to recognize that you can be an engaging educator doing any of these things. And if you're just starting out and you're brand new to teaching and you're like, I just don't know about doing a game in class or whatever, then let's talk about some of those lower intensity activities. And then we can kind of reflect on that. How does that feel for you? You can work your way up to as far as you want to go. If you want to keep going and do some really you know, engaging escape rooms and things like that, great. But if you don't, that's fine. There's nothing like it's not wrong. So that's the message that I kind of want to share is you can have teaching learning strategies at all of those different uh, levels of intensity. So they work with what you teach and who you teach and how much time you have and so forth. Um, So to answer a question, to circle back to that, um, a couple of lower level activities where if you're just kind of getting started and you want to integrate them into your lecture. um, One of those that I really like, if you are teaching, um, you're teaching any kind of leadership course. and you mentioned that you have students who might be older students, adult students, or maybe they're professionals returning to the classroom. I love an activity called a group resume. 
Uh, I love this activity if you do any kind of group learning in your course. So if you're setting up to do groups long term and you have a project, this is a great one to start. So the group resume is very simple. You have your groups formed and say you have groups of four and you have them during a class and it could take 20 minutes. And you can have them go through and they actually create a resume for their group. So like what speaking experiences do people have? What writing experiences do people have? Has someone published in a journal? Has someone led a conference session? Has someone managed their own lab? Has someone, you know, um, uh, had to fire someone? Has someone had to hire someone? And so you go through and you create this. And what happens is kind of twofold. One, students get to know each other and it honors that experience that students bring to the classroom. And you could, you know, you could really focus it in on whatever your topic is related to your course. And the second thing that happens is they're learning how to work together as a group. Like they're learning how to take turns and who's going to write this down and who's going to design it. And they're starting to just kind of learn those roles in, in their space. And you can even step back and debrief on that and talk about that as a leadership experience. Like who took the lead? What did a leader look like? <laughs> you know, and all of those things. So that's one very low stakes. Yes, you could say it takes it could take as long as you want it to. It could be a 20-minute assignment. It could be a full class assignment if you wanted it to be. But it doesn't take a whole lot of prep time to get students kind of typing and writing and working together. I'm going to jump in real quick. Yeah. I wish I had talked to you last week because today we did group contracts in my team building class. Mm -hmm. And this assignment would have been perfect for it. So I definitely earmarked it because we're going to use this moving forward because the areas you talked about are exactly the areas they need to execute in their group project. We, I do a, like a chart, like a table. And I say, you know, put your name, your role and the strengths that you have that support this role. Mm -hmm. But what you're saying is a, a great suggestion for sure. Yeah, And they could share that with other groups and you could just really create this community around, wow, look at all of the experience in this classroom. And, and wow, someone's actually been, you know, a CEO of their own company and somebody, you know, could just have all these opportunities to really leverage that. And then when you're teaching, you can, that invites students to bring in their experiences because they've shared them already in, in sort of this resume format. And it contributes to the team building aspect, what you're trying to do anyway. You know, I think that's mm -hmm. one of the things that, gosh, I think we're like, we're like a, a broken record with some of my faculty peers and we, you know, we've done a lot of the Gallup Strengths Finder training on our, on our campus. And one of the big things was like, you know, it's, it's not like what the results are. It's like just getting them to talk to each other about like, here's what my report says. And like, right. let me learn about you and you can learn about me. And we're going to like learn about each other. And we're gonna have a better team. Not just let's cut off by fours and here's your group for the semester. And I love that as a, as an alternative assignment, the group resume is, is perfect as it gets, gets them talking about all the things that you want them to talk about, not just who's going to write the paper and who's going to do the project and who's going to build the PowerPoint. You know? Right. And they can really leverage that and remember that when they're doing an activity, it's like, Oh wait, Barbie says she had, you know, she's led some speaking engagements right. and she's been on campuses. Let's talk about that. And so there's just a lot of opportunity in that to really break it down, talk about, you can reflect back on it, you know, so lots of, of ways to leverage that. And it's student centered, right? You're not up there saying some lecture. It's like, no, I'm turning this over to you and you're going to create it and you're going to do it. And then we're going to debrief it. And then we're going to talk about it. So um, that's one. Um, another one that I like is um, again, a lower, lower intensity activity is um, I call it what's missing. Um, and so basically you present your students with something, whether it's, um, you know, if you have a particular leadership process or a method, uh, then you present it to them, but you leave something out and then you see if they can identify what 
is left out. So they're really leaning on critical thinking skills here. They're working together. Um, you're not lecturing at them about whatever it is that you're teaching them. You're asking them to look at it, analyze it, and talk about what's missing. And you can make this really simple or really complex. Um, and I remember I went to a campus in Florida and I was um, presenting a workshop with a group of nurses, nursing faculty, and they were thinking about how they could use the what's missing in their work. And I remember one nurse, she talked about, she said that she works with um, patients in the emergency, I mean, in the OR in the operating room, and she does like C-sections and, and things like that. And so one of the things that she teaches her students is like, you have to prep the field, right? You have to prep the surgical field. And so she would literally take them into the surgical room and she would have it set up, but she might have the, the surgical tray set up with all of the different, you know, tools that, that the doctor would need and something would be missing. And it's like, can you identify what that is? So something that simple, or you can make it really complex and have it be, you know, some um, theory or process or procedure. And you have students analyze it and say, wow, this piece is missing. Um, so that's another one really simple to do. Doesn't take a lot of time. And again, you could go in and lecture about this, but man, if you can just pause <laughs> for 15 minutes or five minutes, whatever time you have and have students figure out what's missing, it's a great way to promote critical thinking. We'll say really quickly, my, like I said, my friend is in athletic training. I'm definitely going to pass that strategy on to her, but what's missing because she teaches athletic trainers how to go in and, you know, do triage in the mm -hmm. event that there's an incident at, you know, any sporting event or, or in rehab. Sometimes, sometimes students will use it as a way to get to PT school, but yeah, that's a great great suggestion that what's missing and really giving them time to, to process that. Yeah. And I mean, if she demos, like if there's a particular way you have to wrap an ankle after an injury and you demo that, but you skip a step, see if your students can find it. I mean, and you could do this with video. You could do it with a demonstration. I mean, there's so much you can do. You can even challenge your students to create their own and see if other students can figure out what's missing from their presentation. So you can, you can do a lot with that. I love that. Yeah, no, me too. It's meeting students where they're at. It's it's giving them some responsibility for, for their learning in like a really creative way and, a, and a really just a really interesting spin. So, well, Barbie, I feel like we could talk about teaching and yep. higher ed like forever. Um, <laughs> yep. And I mean, that's why we that's why we're the three of us uh, have podcasts on this topic. So, um, I mean, this this was just a, a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for joining us and, and sharing so many great ideas and strategies with with us, with our listeners. So grateful for your time and, and your work in the in the field of, of teaching and and learning and, and higher ed. Uh, and definitely best of luck as you continue podcasting uh, the Lecture Breakers podcast. And we're definitely going to put some information about the uh, the conference this summer um, and our show notes. So again, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you so much. And um, like I say, I am just really excited to connect with you and with your listeners. And um, you can go to my website, barbiehoneycutt.com and lots of resources there. Um, I just scratched the surface <laughs> uh, for this conversation. So there's lots of opportunities for your listeners to uh, you know, get some strategies and go try them in their classes. No doubt. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Leadership Educator Podcast. Remember, you can download all our episodes on all available podcast platforms. And when you go, please make sure you rate us five stars, as the more you rate us, the easier it is for others to find us. That's right, Lauren. We also invite you to interact with us on Twitter at Lead Educator Pod. That's L E A D E D U C A T O R P O D. And on LinkedIn by searching for the Leadership Educator Podcast. You can also follow us on LinkedIn by name and on Twitter. I'm at Dr. Underscore Leadership and Lauren is at M-R-S-L-A-U-R-J-B. That's Miss Laura J-B. We'd like to thank the James M. Cox Jr. 
Institute for Journalism Innovation, Management, and Leadership within the Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication at the University of Georgia. The support was facilitated by Dr. Keith Herndon, William S. Morris Chair in News Strategy and Management. And a wonderful theme music was composed, performed, and mixed by Dr. Matthew White, trumpeter, composer, and associate professor and chair of jazz studies now at the University of South Carolina. You can check him out at www.mattwhitejazz.com. Matt, thank you so much for sharing your musical genius with our listeners. During the season, you will hear episodes featuring International Leadership Association members working globally to drive leadership education. Visit ilaglobalnetwork.org slash podcast for more information and to join the association. And finally, this podcast would not be possible without our chief partner, the Association of Leadership Educators. Please check out the ALE and all it has to offer at leadershipeducators.org. We hope you will listen to our next episode wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.